Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. I cannot think of a better way to begin this next year than with a focus on prayer and fasting. Um, I'm excited that our denomination makes that a focus point and that there's a ton of resources and the invitation to be part of that. And as a church family, I'm excited to see what God does in and through each one of us as individuals and collectively as a group of Jesus followers to see what he would do in our lives and in our communities as we would make this a focus. And I want to start with just kind of a question this morning. That's going to preempt talking to you a little bit about the next series that we are going to begin uh, today. But I want to start with this question. How did you learn to pray? Uh, Or maybe I got to backtrack a little bit. Did you, right? Do you even pray? Like what, what formed that? For, for most of us, if, if we pray as any type of a spiritual practice, it's going to be something that was modeled in some form or fashion. We may have heard maybe a, a teaching on it, or maybe we read something in Scripture, or we went to children's church, and there was like a little story. Maybe our Sunday school teacher led us through something along those lines. But, but for most of us, we'd have to really kind of stop and think about how we were informed in that practice, if it's something that we do at all. And what was interesting to me is this week I spent some time just kind of mulling that over in my own life. Like, how, how did I learn how to pray? Where, where was that informed from? And certainly it was something that uh, was a part of my upbringing in my home. It was a common practice. Growing up in the church, I was uh, able to kind of see it expressed in different ways. I was a children's church, church rat, kind of growing up and coming up uh, through, through the church ranks. Um, but it was really interesting to think about all the different ways that somebody can go about praying. There are, are very structured and liturgic ways. Uh, there are prayers that seem to be uh, repetitions or uh, prayed, um, you know, uh, at certain times or for certain seasons. Uh, it wasn't until I was actually uh, in ministry that I had ever seen somebody pray from like a manuscript where they kind of typed out or wrote out their prayer. And I remember the first time I saw somebody who was a, a colleague, a pastor, who was praying from a manuscript. And I remember my first thought was like, is that even allowed, right? Is that even a real prayer? Because it wasn't something that I grew up with. It wasn't something that was a part of my own practice. And so I was even challenged with that type of a thought. Uh, you know, d- does, that, does that even count? Like, Jesus, does that count, right? Uh, this kind of this idea. And so I'm, I want to start with that. How, how did you learn about prayer? I want you to just kind of hold on to that and, and think about that. Uh, because what I've found in, in my own life and in journeying with, with many others through the years of ministry is we tend to, at the same time, overcomplicate prayer and then underestimate the power of it. And we need to reverse those. Uh, we overcomplicate prayer. We defer it to others. We, we have this tendency to feel like, like I can't do it right. You know, I'll, I'll let somebody else who's like really got the hotline to Jesus go on this one. You know, and then at the same time, we may not even pray about substantial things in our lives because we're kind of like, well, what's the point? And I think that we need to flip those. I think that we need to recognize that prayer is much more simple than many of us think and much more powerful 
than we expect. And if we can reverse those things, I think that we will have a more confident, faith-filled and robust personal prayer life and corporate prayer life, and we'll actually see a greater expectation of the power of God as a result of that practice. And so for the next four weeks, as we move as a congregation in partnering with Foursquare in 21 days of prayer and fasting, we as a church body are going to allow ourselves to learn how to pray. The series that we're going to begin this morning is Teach Us to Pray. And rather than just having it modeled by a pastor or friend or going back into our childhood to think about what happened in uh, our church growing up or what was demonstrated in our home, we're going to invite Jesus to do that through his word, that he would teach us to pray. Most of us, if we are in a public setting and you are invited to pray aloud, some of you, like, you couldn't get, you couldn't get your hand up fast enough. It's going to be the small majority of you, right? A few of you uh, pray, like, immediately. Most of us would feel like an intimidation, right? I don't know what to say. I'm not really sure how to get started. You know, some people start with a dear Heavenly Father, like they're writing a letter to the Lord. Some people are really familiar with like, hey, Jesus, what's up? I need this, right? And it's just like, how do I do it, right? There's some, some challenges maybe to that. Some of us have learned, learned like simple prayers and like have never developed a prayer life. Maybe you've got like the prayer that you say when your family sits down to dinner, right? And it's like, over the lips and through the gums, look out stomach, here it comes. I'm not even sure if that counts as a prayer, but it rhymes and you learned it as a kid, and so you're just rolling with it, right? Sometimes we don't ever develop past some of those little things that we've kind of bumped into or learned. Uh, a lot of times we rely on others, right? We'll, we'll, we'll defer to somebody else because somehow they're more mature or they're, they're maybe more spiritual in the way that we would perceive them. And there's value in having other, people's pray, other people pray for you. I don't want to diminish that. In fact, Scripture encourages us to go to elders and leaders within our church body. It, it encourages us to bear one another's burdens and to pray and to contend for one another. So I'm not diminishing that. But many times we will defer and let others do it because we will feel a sense of intimidation or a less than-ness in us. As if I don't have something to bring or to offer and I just want to suggest to you as we go into this series that you and I, that we can all learn to pray simply and powerfully. That we can all begin there and then to grow and to mature into that spiritual practice as the Lord would lead us. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to get those out. I'm going to ask you to open up your app on your smartphone or your tablet. If you've got that, if you've got your Bible or your smartphone or tablet app, go ahead and raise that up before the Lord. Lord, we ask that you would prepare our hearts today. Lord, give us uh, a learning heart, a heart that is willing to be shaped and challenged, Lord, by your word and the invitation that we have uh, to come to you personally uh, and intentionally, to commune with you in prayer. Lord, for hearts here who would feel like they are less than, uh, that somehow uh, they are far off from you. Lord, may they feel your pleasure and your invitation to come and relate to you. Lord, for hearts here who feel like they've already got this down, would you give them a humility that there's always room for us to grow and to develop in our spiritual practices. And Lord, give us a willingness to have eyes that see and ears that hear, that we would respond to your word and the leading of your spirit today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. With your Bibles uh, out and open, I want to encourage you to go to Luke chapter 
11. Luke chapter 11. We're going to be spending the majority of our time this morning in the first several verses of Luke chapter 11. And the conversation that happens here is initiated by one of the disciples. He is not named on this occasion, but one of the disciples initiates the conversation and everything that follows after this as they come to Jesus with this request. And in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it reads this way. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Doesn't tell us what time, doesn't tell us where, it's nondescript, it's actually not even important for the context here. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. I want to sit here for a minute. Okay, so there's this, there's this uh, inquiry, there's this question, there's this uh, invitation to have Jesus speak into their lives, and the, the invitation or the desire is this, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, the disciples at this time, they, they knew how to pray, right? They, they, that had been a part of their common practice and up, upbringing within their culture. Uh, they would have been adept and uh, understood the different ways that the liturgic prayers were used in the temple and in the synagogue. They, it, it wasn't like they had never prayed. They would have seen Jesus by this time pray on multiple occasions, both in public and in private We'll talk a little bit about how Jesus modeled that and mentors that in their lives in subsequent weeks coming up. But all of that considered, there was something that they recognized about the way that he did it and the result of it that brought about this question. Jesus, teach us to pray. There's a recognition that he was a rabbi, that he was a spiritual authority and a leader, and that he was doing something that was different than what they knew or that they had experienced up to this point. And so they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And so he said to them, and the following four verses is what we're going to unpack this morning as we begin this series. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. And that's kind of how this group of verses closes out, and it begins to move on from there as he gives some more teaching and direction uh, about prayer and the way to go into that. But what's really interesting is that this is the way that he in, uh, indicated that they should pray. And if you are somebody who grew up in the church, if you're familiar with what would be uh, commonly understood as the Lord's Prayer, as soon as I began to read this series of verses, even as you were either looking on the screen or looking in your own uh, scripture, you would probably want to raise your hand and be like, wait a minute, there's some stuff missing. Right? Didn't it feel like that? Because some of you, you memorized the Lord's Prayer when you were a kid. Like you, you, you're like, hey, there's words missing here. There, there's something, wait a minute, what is happening? Right? I knew it. They stole the Bible right out from under us. We, we weren't paying enough attention. Like what, what you commonly uh, memorized as a kid uh, or growing up in church was the Lord's Prayer out of Matthew chapter 6. It's actually recorded in a couple different places. And so I want to touch on that for just a moment so that you're not like, uh, you're, not, you're not thrown off your game, right? So that you're not overly concerned. Okay? Jesus taught on prayer frequently. 
both in Luke and in Matthew. You look at the other Gospels. Jesus spoke about prayer often. He modeled it. He taught on it. In the Matthew context, the Matthean uh, uh, Lord's Prayer is given under the backdrop of the Sermon on the Mount, a large collection of Jesus's uh, teaching in public on a mountainside, and kind of that more uh, liturgic and formalized one that has kind of brought through church history is categorized there. In the Luke context, he's teaching about prayer on another occasion. He wasn't actually sitting in a corporate setting teaching the large crowd. He had just be, been done praying in private and had one of his disciples say, hey, teach us that. It was almost like, hey, we need a refresher, or we didn't get it the first time in the context of where it is in Jesus' life and ministry. And so there's nothing missing here. He gives them a shortened or an abbreviated kind of quote-unquote Lord's Prayer that is very much like what you see in the Matthean context in chapter 6. But nothing's missing. Everybody, you're with me? What it is, is it's simpler. It's, it's simplified. Not that the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 was overly complicated, but it's even more succinct and more direct. And what Jesus outlines for us in the, the Matthew 6 and in Luke chapter 11, as he gives us this idea of the Lord's Prayer, for many of us, it's become a prayer that we've memorized it's become a piece of liturgy, and it's like, well, when we do it, we're going to pray that kind of that whole thing. But Jesus' intention here isn't to just give you a back pocket prayer that you would just pray on any and every occasion. It's to give you a template of what it looks like to approach God in a simple and powerful way. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at these four short statements that Jesus makes here, and we're going to focus on four simple ways that you can begin to implement into your prayer life, into your prayer practice as we begin 21 days of prayer and fasting. Because many of us, again, we're going to be intimidated. We're not really sure what to say or how to start. Like, what am I supposed to focus on? Even if I sign up for the email reminders, like, am I even going to know what to say? Like, maybe somebody else should do this. I don't know if I can kind of walk through this. We're going to make it very, very simple for us to take steps into moving into being able to express this in power. If you're a note taker, there's going to be four points that come out of this. They're all going to start with the letter R. This is the best gift that I can give you, and it will probably be the only one that you get like this this whole year. So this is your chance, note takers, to be like, he did it. All right? But Jesus leads with this reminder of how to pray. He leads with this statement, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, in the Matthew context, would be, it'd be our Father who art in heaven. I don't know who the art guy is, but he's riding shotgun up there, right? So, who art in heaven, how, and there's the whole extra lines. But Jesus begins with this idea of Father. And the word that's being translated here as Jesus speaks, it's translated into the Greek, but the word that he uses is Abba. And we've bumped into that on occasion as we follow Jesus and we see how he talks about how to relate to Yahweh, how to relate to our Father God. He uses this very, very intimate term, this very personal term that was so intimate and so personal it would be almost offensive in the context. To talk to God as our Abba, as our Dada, to kind of stumble in that type of infant intimacy would have been uh, offensive uh, when it was first understood. And Jesus leads with that, this idea that we still approach God as our father, as our daddy. 
Now, the common practice of prayer at the day was not to address God in that way. In fact, it was, it was more common to use a multiplication of titles. You wouldn't even start with like Yahweh or Jehovah. It would be, oh, sovereign Lord, creator of all things. You can go to a many a Psalms. You can record a number of uh, uh, prayers from the Old Testament, and you can look at the common praxis of the Jewish liturgy of the time. It was long multiplication of titles whenever you came into an interaction with God. And that's appropriate. It's not inappropriate to, to ascribe to God glory and honor, to, to acknowledge his sovereignty to humble yourself before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Even as we were talking last week of, of Jesus out of Revelation, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, it is not inappropriate to ascribe those titles to God. But many times what happens in our prayer life is we put up this formality of kind of ascribing titles and we hide behind it because we're looking to avoid relationship and that's the point here. Like the first way that you and I need to initiate uh, a practice in our prayer is to relate to God in the way that he invites us. And so Jesus, he, he takes all those titles and he puts them aside. And it's not to say that they're not appropriate. It's not to say that he doesn't use those at times. We see that in the New Testament. We see that in Jesus' own prayer life in the way that he would speak. But this idea, Father, Abba, the first way for you and I to begin a template of prayer is to just relate to God as our heavenly Father. There's a couple other relational points to this, uh, this idea of hallowed be your name. It really means that your name is holy or set apart. There's a proper acknowledgement of station and person and this idea that you're in charge, your kingdom come. I'm gonna defer to you. But it begins with this relationship of intimacy. And so every one of us can begin in our communion with God, in our acknowledgement and our practice of prayer, in approaching him as our heavenly father. That, that there's an invitation for you to just say, daddy, maybe sometimes that's all it is. Like it's appropriate for you to call on the name of Jesus and sometimes that's all that our soul can get out in the places of darkness and desperation, the places of brokenness in our life. Sometimes the only thing that we can get out of us is Jesus and a heart full of faith that knows that he knows the longing and the cry of our heart, even if that's all that we can speak. And so there's this invitation and this modeling that Jesus gives us to relate to God as our heavenly Father. And sometimes that's a challenge for us because we know all the stuff that's like part of our life still. We may be walking through the consequences of actions or behaviors or lifestyles in the past. We may be dealing with the fallout of what we did or said or how we responded right now today. We're acutely aware of the places in our own lives where there's still bondage, where there's brokenness, where we've said yes to darkness and no to the light. Like we're more intimately aware of all of those challenges within us. And so our tendency would be to shy away from our heavenly father and to try to come in with pomp and circumstance and formality as if somehow we needed to appease him in order to be acceptable to him. And he doesn't need any of that. I can tell you absolutely 100% that there has never been a single time where one of my children has walked into my office and said, Reverend Hackbarth, I'd like to talk to you today. 
I know, it's, it's unbelievable that they would not speak to me that way. I mean, I put work, I've got experience, I've got degrees. Like, I've done, like, where's my accolade and record? No. In fact, if they even acknowledge that I'm there at all, like, that's bonus, right? It's like, where's the snacks is usually what it is. Why? Because they're my kids. They don't even call me Ben. They don't even call me by my actual first name, the one that most of you would be familiar with. Any of you who know me well enough, who have gotten over the, you know, the pastor this or the reverend that, right? They don't even call me that. Hey, Dad. Pops, I get some of that sometimes. They're starting to grow up on me. Why? Because we're familiar. Because they're, they're my kids. And even in, in our church body, people who have been newer to our church family, who are trying to figure out the way that, that every church culture has its own kind of nuance to it. I've been called Father Hackbarth. Nobody's gone to exalted reverend. I mean, if you want to try to up your game a little bit, I mean, that's there. You know, some of, some of you, it would just be pastor or pastor Ben, because there's, there's a little bit of uh, a head nod to that, or maybe you grew up in a generation where, where that would be something that would be a sign of respect. And all of those things, those are helpful, those are healthy, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But there is a very distinct difference between any of those titles and just coming into my office because you're my kid and being able to call me dad. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Getting past all of this, like I have to somehow grovel before the creator of all things to recognize that I am his and he is mine. This idea that I have been made right because of what Jesus has done, because of my yes to Jesus. There's just a big yes to me from the Father. And so we're invited to relate there. And so if you've ever struggled in the practice of prayer in your life with this idea that somehow you're not good enough, that you're not welcome, that you don't know enough, that you haven't got your life put together right, those things need to be put aside and you need to just come and say, Daddy. And maybe your daddy is in desperation or maybe your daddy is in an acknowledgement of the brokenness in your life that needs to be uh, taken out. Maybe you're is a, a daddy that acknowledges need. We're going to talk about that in just a moment or repentance. But simply know that you have that invitation and that there is, should be a confidence in you with that. When we are overwhelmed by shame or guilt, like when, when we're hounded by condemnation, we are reluctant to come into the presence of God in that way. Just like if my kids know that I know that they did something wrong, they don't come into dad's office with confidence, right? When they know that mom called ahead of time. It's like, eh, I gotta test the waters. And we feel like we have to do that with the Lord. But you have an invitation to come to him as your heavenly father. Jesus encourages that. He modeled that for himself. Verse three moves us to the next point, this idea that we need to relate to God correctly. But the second one is to bring your requests. Now, Jesus uh, is, states it very succinctly in this uh, version or this recording of this prayer template. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. As, as you begin, okay, let's, let's, let's begin this week. 
to begin to participate in 21 days where we're going to make prayer part of what our regular rhythm is. I'm going to respond to the Lord as my Abba, as my Heavenly Father, and then listen to me. It is absolutely appropriate for you to give voice to the needs that you have in your life. It is okay to present your requests to God. In fact, in, a Philipp, in Philippians chapter 4, as Paul's writing to the church, he tells us to, to, to not worry or be anxious about anything, but to pray about everything. And then it says, present your requests to God. And I push on that. Some of you are going to be like, well, yeah, of course I'm going to tell God about my needs. But can I tell you, I interact with people all the time who are reluctant to do that because they don't feel like they have the invitation that they don't feel like they have the access, they don't believe that they deserve God to either acknowledge their needs or to do anything about them. We labor under this performance review very often where we feel a condemnation and we will shy away from being honest before God about the needs and the desires that we have in our lives because we don't believe we deserve it. Okay, so let me in two breaths put that to rest. Number one is apart from Christ, you don't deserve anything. Okay, so let's, let's be honest and let's be real about the sin and the brokenness in our life and the result of the decisions that we made and the life that we've lived. Like absolutely, there is a kind of a sideline truth that you and I do not deserve, do not deserve God meeting our needs. But he doesn't, relate to us as Abba Father based on what we deserve. He relates to us based on who he is. And we get all of that in Christ. And so it is appropriate, listen to me, it's appropriate for you to say, God, I have this need in my life. Whether it's a physical need, a health need, whether it's a finance need, whether it's a desire for relationship and friendship. I remember spending time when I moved to Colorado I moved to Colorado uh, from California and I had no friends and I had no family to where I was going. And I arrived to be a part of a recently planted church and to just be a part of ministry. And there were some moments where I just sat and said, God, I need a friend. Like we, it's appropriate to say these are the needs in my life. Now you can overcorrect that and come in and demand things of God and be an entitled little spiritual snot, and like the Holy Spirit's gonna help correct and shape all of that. You're gonna have to mature and grow for sure. But let's get over this idea that we can't go to God with our needs. Where else are you gonna have your needs met? Who else is gonna meet your need in the way that it really needs to be met? Who's gonna be the one who brings provision? Who's gonna be the one who brings wholeness and healing? Where else are you gonna find it? You won't find it anywhere else, so why would we not ask? Now there is a growing process where there's things that I would ask of the Lord and say this is a need in my life, and he'd say, Ben, we're gonna talk about that. That's not what you need. There's a maturing process where I would say, God, this is, this is what I would like to see. This is a desire of my heart, and he would say no. That's not good or healthy for you. I understand that conversation as a parent with my kids when they just want to eat candy every day for dinner. Sometimes I don't think of that in those terms when I want what I want. So there is a, a process in that. But can I tell you, like, you, it is appropriate for you to say, God, this is a need that I have. This is a need that I have. 
And when I do that, there's a, there's a part of doing that where I'm actually pursuing the things of the kingdom of God. And that really ends up being the point. In, in chapter 12 of Luke, and there's a, a companion kind of a, a similar teaching in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus talks about not worrying about tomorrow. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, because life is more than those things. And then in both teaching contexts, it goes to talk about the way that God cares for the birds or the way that God cares for uh, the, the flowers of the field, the way that God stewards creation. It says don't chase after those things, worrying about them. God knows that you need them. And then in both contexts, it says, but if you would seek his kingdom, all of those things would be added to you. It is appropriate to make your requests known to the Lord. He's already aware of those. He's already predisposed to meet your needs. And part of pursuing the things of the kingdom of God is coming to the king and saying, this is a need in your kingdom. And so Jesus invites us to relate to God as our father and to bring our requests. Certainly there's a right, proper, and fitting way to draw his attention to those, but he already knows what those things are. Bringing your request to God is more about you aligning the truth of your heart with the idea that God is the one that meets the needs of your life than anything else. And then you begin to walk and experience that and see that take place. He moves from that idea of kind of daily bread to verse four. He says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, right? Old school Matthew translation would have been, right? Forgive us our trespasses, right? As we forgive those who trespass against us. That always like makes me think about some guy in overalls with a shotgun, get off my lawn type of a thing. So I don't, it's not overly helpful for me in my imagination. But this idea of forgive us our sins. When Jesus gives this template for prayer, okay, we come to God through relationship. We present our requests, but then there's a place where we allow God to bring about an evaluation of what's going on in our life. See, what's being talked about here, really, this idea of forgive us our sins, it has to do with repentance. If we're carrying kind of those R's, this idea of relate to God, bring our requests. And there should be a place in my conversation with the Lord where I allow him to draw me to repentance. Where there's a willingness to allow him to bring to light things in my life that need to change. And we shy away from this a lot of times. Mostly because we don't understand what repentance and forgiveness really looks like. When we start talking about repentance, especially in like a church or kind of a Christian context, most of us think about somebody who's angry at us because we did something naughty and we're going to get the whammy. That's just usually how we think. And so this idea of repentance is somehow I need to somehow, uh, you know, lay before the Lord and just like take what's coming to me. Or, uh, you know, there's this overwhelming sense of condemnation that comes with it. And repentance at the heart of it is, uh, is, is really aligning my evaluation of what is being scrutinized with God's. Like repentance has primarily to do, if you understand the root of the word, it, uh, it, it would be a turning around or a 180 is kind of part 
of the nuance of the word. And even when I was coming up in, in high school and in, in youth, uh, you know, our pastors would always say, you're going this direction and repentance is turning around and going this direction. And that's appropriate in the way that it is expressed in your life. But repentance is primarily an issue of the heart and the mind, or the heart and the mind, that way, before it's expressed in your behavior. Repentance, it really comes as a result of the renewing of the mind in a sense. It's where the Holy Spirit brings something to light or brings something to the forefront in your life and he says, hey, this is gross and needs to be out of your life and your decision is, I agree with that. You're correct. Hey, this issue of offense needs to be something that you allow me to bring healing to. Hey, this promise that I've already said is yours. You need to believe and receive that. that. All of those things are part of repentance. It's me agreeing with what God has said is true. And this idea of forgiveness, forgive us our sins, there's this, there's this repentance. You can't, you can't receive forgiveness for a sin that you haven't necessarily asked forgiveness for. There's an acknowledgement there. Now that can get twisted. There was a whole uh, part of church history that kind of brought about this idea that if you don't confess each and everything that you've ever done, that somehow those things don't get forgiven and something else does. And that's not what is being talked about here. But it is this idea that there's an acknowledgement of what is right and true and just in my life. Part of my prayer life, part of your prayer life, part of that practice should be leaving enough space for God to say, hey, this piece needs to go. The way that you're speaking to your spouse, that needs to change. The way that you are stewarding the resources of your life, there's better ways to invest it in the things of the kingdom of God. This lie that you've bought into about your identity or about your personhood needs to be something that is removed and I wanna speak life over you. All of those things need to be part of that. And when we see God as our heavenly father, we're more apt to listen to that and allow the Holy Spirit to bring that type of conviction. When I don't see him that way, when he's authoritarian, when he's wrathful, when he's vengeful, then I don't even want to have this conversation because it comes across as a performance review and I already know I've underperformed, right? Like we, you already know. I mean, there's things about you that the Holy Spirit could bring up that would probably surprise you, but most of the stuff that would be kind of the worst of the worst, like you're already aware of that. You know what you did. You know what you thought. You know the habit. You know the bondage. You know the tendency. You're dealing with the consequences. You're dragging the baggage. And what God does is he brings about a, a, a highlighting of that and says, hey, see this? Let's just leave that behind. Jesus took care of that. Hey, see this? Allow me to touch that and bring healing. Allow me to open that door and bring freedom. That's what this idea of, of, of repentance brings into this. And unfortunately, it's not often part of our regular prayer practice. We won't relate to God as our Father. We'll, we'll relate to Him as, as, as something bigger than that a lot of times. And again, it's not inappropriate to talk to Him as Sovereign Lord. But you're missing something if you can't call Him Daddy, too. And then there's this invitation to present our request, but then here we just, we allow the Holy Spirit to do something in us to bring about change. We're made aware and invited to be cleansed. He's the one who does that. 
And then Jesus moves from this idea of forgiveness and, and, and receiving it and giving it, this idea of repentance, restoration, right relationship, all of that is carried into that statement. To the very last part of verse 4, he says this, and lead us not into temptation. Now this isn't a, 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 a request for God to not let you go through hard things. This isn't a suggestion that somehow God looks to entrap you right, or to set you up and then bust you. He's not an undercover cop looking to kind of pull out your sin and your fleshly tendencies. This has more to do with being a statement of being willing to respond where God would lead. In fact, the book of James on its own, uh, if, you, if you want to read that, the book of James tells us that, that God doesn't tempt anybody. He's not himself tempted, nor does he tempt others that we're tempted by the things in us that draw us away. Our flesh is the way that James would put it. And that in any temptation that you face, God always brings about a path towards deliverance. You've got to follow him to deliverance. It's a good picture here. Lead us not into temptation. Actually, God will lead you out of it if you will stick close to him. Jesus will lead you out of that if you will stay on his heels. And this statement here of lead us not into temptation is an invitation for us to respond now. So I relate to God as my heavenly father. I bring my requests. I allow space to repent of things that need to change in my life, ideas, notions, activities. And then I respond. I'm going to just follow where he leads. Psalm 37 verse 23 has, kind of a, uh, has a promise statement in it. And it says this. It says, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Another way that that idea of kind of make firm the steps has to do with establishes the steps or orders them, puts them in proper place. That when I delight in him, when I'm sticking close to Jesus, that the path that I'm on, that's going to be the right one, that my footing is going to be assured, that it's going to be ordered and processed in the right direction. All of those things become a part of this promised statement here. And, and Paul says something similar about the way that we should be ordering the steps of our lives in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. He says, since we live by the Spirit, or since we have been made alive by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And this idea of lead me not into temptation, it's more of a statement that says, God, I'm going to follow the direction that you lead me. Holy Spirit, I'm going to keep in step with you. Jesus, where you go, I will follow. God, I'm going to go down the path and the purpose, the direction that you have for my life. All of those things end up being nuanced into this, this idea that I get to now respond in a way where I say yes to God in the direction that he leads me into. And that simple template, you and I, we can all do that right now. You could begin tomorrow in 21 days of focusing on prayer, and you can say, man, I'm not really sure what to say. I'm not really sure how to do this. You can actually begin with that template. God, you're my father. Daddy. Abba. And then you may have some really heavy needs. You may have some really hard requests. And God does some deep work there as you begin to trust him. Or maybe you're like, man, I, I'm pretty close to dad. Like we've been cold kicking it for a while and this is great. And man, I don't really have a lot of needs. 
leave some space for him to say, well, let's talk about this. Oh. Leave some space for him to, to, to pull things out, to remove things, to reshape. Relate, request, repent. And in that space there, sometimes it's for you. Sometimes we need to do that. That's why we shy away from it. But listen, sometimes we need to do that on behalf of our community or our country. There's any number of ways in Scripture where the idea of repenting for a a, a group of people, repenting for a culture, repenting for a country, that's expressed there. It's called intercession. And if you're in a place where the Holy Spirit is drawing to your attention things that are amiss and kind of uh, deformalities in the way that our culture works or our world works and you're made aware of those, begin to contend for those. Repent on behalf of those who don't even see it yet. It's what Jesus did on the cross where he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're, it's intercession. It's a beautiful picture on the cross and it's something that the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus continues to do for you and I, that he makes intercession for you and I day and night before the throne of God. That's wild. Love it. And then choose to respond. I want to leave you with this last thought before we close. Even after that simple template, even after those four sweet R's that you're all going to remember, right? Even after that invitation to just begin to approach praying and practice simply, for many of us, we're going to feel disqualified. You're going to feel like you don't have your life together. You're going to feel like you don't compare or measure up to others. Feel like you don't know enough. All of those condemning thoughts that would come in that would look to paralyze you in this practice are all going to be things that will encroach. You can, you, I can guarantee it. And so I want to leave you with what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4 about the way that you and I are to come into the presence of God. The writer says this, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Everybody say confidence. Confidence. Now say it like you have some confidence. Confidence. Okay, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus made prayer simple and then He directs us to pray powerfully, but there's a confidence. Listen, you can come into dad's office in confidence. Now, don't come with entitlement. That's not going to help you. Don't come with demands, and don't somehow look to posture yourself and circumvent his sovereignty. Like, God, you're not on a peer relationship with God, right? He's daddy. But come with confidence, that you're accepted, that you have access, that you're listened to, that he can meet your needs, that he will draw out the things in you that need to change at the moment that needs to take place and that you can walk and follow him confidently because he will lead you by his spirit and he will make your steps firm. Church family, if you would stand, we'll close in just a moment. Worship team, if you would come forward. As the worship team is coming forward and gathering on stage, I'm going to invite you, uh, church family, I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes for a moment, just as a way to drown out that movement and that noise. And I want to encourage you to think about this question. How would your life 
change this week if you began to pray simple, believing that it's powerful? If you followed this this simple template that Jesus kind of puts out there, hey, do it this way. This is a great way to start. It's not the only way to do it. It's not the exhaustive way. It's a simple way. It's a great starting point, and we can all do it. What would it look like if you began 21 days of prayer and fasting tomorrow? In the morning, if you're a morning person, in the afternoon, if you're just like thriving at lunchtime or before bed, maybe, if that's where you're at your best, and that you took time to pray, and the first thing that you did as you initiated that moment is that you responded to God as your Heavenly Father. Someone who loves you, who loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, all of that stuff, that you came with that type of confidence, that type of expectation. And then as you would relate to him as your Abba, as your daddy, what would it look like for you to be honest about the needs that you have in your life? Maybe, maybe concerns, maybe needs that have been so heavy that you haven't even voiced them to the Lord before. There's been a sense of disqualification. There's been a, a, a sense of you being less than, that somehow you are undeserving. And so you're just going to sit and, and deal with the consequences or receive the lot that has fallen to you because you don't deserve anything else. What if you were just honest before the Lord and said, God, these are the places that I hurt. These are the places that I'm broken. These are the places where I'm bound. These are the places where I'm overwhelmed with doubt. These are the places that I'm plagued with fear. These are the places that I have very real needs. What if it, what would it look like if, if you made space in that interaction to allow him to draw to your attention things that needed to change in you, lies that you've believed about him or yourself, activities that you've just kind of compromised on or allowed to me as part of your lifestyle. What would it look like to leave some space to just repent? Knowing that it's a loving God that wants to meet your needs, that draws you to that place and brings about that renewal. What would it look like for you to just follow where he would lead this week? For you to delight in him in a way that you allowed him to order the steps of your life where you would keep step with the Spirit. What would it look like for you to approach with confidence right from the get-go? Lord, we begin in this moment right now. We come confidently before you. And we do it as a group, Lord. We feel a strength together. We come before you with confidence. We call out to you, our Abba, our Daddy. Lord, there are so many needs, so many varied requests within the homes and families represented in this room, and we bring all of them to you. We don't have the knowledge or the time to unpack each and every one, but we know that you are already aware, that you know our needs, that you're already moving on our behalf. And so God, we present those to you, and I ask that you would help faith to rise up in hearts, to believe and to contend and continue, to petition you for that, knowing that you are the only one where those needs can be met truly and fully. Lord, we leave space even in this moment for you to draw to our hearts or to our minds things that need to change. Lord, give us a courageous faith that says yes to your evaluation of us. Lord, that even as the psalmist wrote, search me and know me. 
dry out any wicked way in me, Lord. Let that be something that you bring to my attention, to our attention, and that we say yes to your evaluation of it, and then we respond in following you to freedom from it. And Lord, we ask that you would order our steps as we would delight in you, that we would learn to follow after you, to keep in step with your spirit. And Lord, that we would come with courage and confidence into your presence and that we would lead others to that end as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I got two action steps for you for this week. And the first one is to just to, to begin each day. Maybe that's begin in the morning for you morning people. Otherwise, find time as it works. But each day this week, pray in a way where you relate, request, repent, and respond. But start with that simple template. We'll grow and learn in the next three weeks together. And then number two, I want to encourage you to go to foursquare.org or sterlingfoursquare.com on our events page. Sign up for the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Get some of those resources. Let's do that together and see what God does in us and through us as a result.